0: of the people who live here, I'm convinced, aren't from here. <laughs> Raise your hand if you were born and raised in the Metroplex. Okay, a few of you. Well, Jared, you kind of left and came back. It still counts. It still counts. Many of us weren't born here or, or aren't from here. We we, we came here uh, for various reasons. People are pouring into Dallas-Fort Worth for To be with family. As a country boy, I grew up in a town of less than a thousand people. And one red light. And no Dairy Queen. That's a travesty. Uh, And I'll tell you, in the town I grew up in, there was no racial diversity. (laughs) Zero. So, as a country boy living in this huge city, I love the diversity of this area. I love it for several reasons. I love it because it reflects the beauty and creativity of God. Because it puts me around people made in the image of God that I wouldn't normally just gravitate towards. I love it because it gives us as a church a unique opportunity to take the gospel to the nations without even leaving our city. I prayed for Erica Selby earlier. Many of you. Many of you are witnessing to people from all over the world right now. Praise God. I love this increasing diversity for lots of reasons. I love it because it reflects heaven. We just heard I want to read from Revelation 7, 9. John says, so I looked and behold a great multitude of all nations, tribes, and peoples before the Lamb. Heaven will be even more ethnically diverse than this city. A great multitude of all nations, tribes, and peoples before the Lamb. Heaven will be hell for racists. There are approximately 7,000 known languages in the world. Five most common languages are Mandarin Chinese, English, Hindi, Spanish, and Russian. In Dallas County, 94, probably more than that, this is probably a low number, but 94, the CDC lists 94 different languages spoken in households in Dallas County. I'm wondering, Raise your hand if you're fluent in more than one language. Praise the Lord for both of you. Sweet. (laughs) Fluent. Yes. (laughs) Raise your hand if you weren't born in America. Praise the Lord. Our world, our city... Even our church is full of people who speak different languages, come from different nations, and I, I love studying demographics and such. And there's lots of reasons why the world is becoming more and more globalized. But the reality that we, the reality that we live in, the reality of multiple languages and multiple nations, has its roots, its ultimate roots, in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. So let's go there. You find Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis 10 and 11, we see the origin of all nations and then the origin of all the languages. The origins of all, origin of all the nations of the earth and then origin of all the languages. And so, the diversity we see in the world is a result of what happens here. So... Speaking about diversity is not some liberal agenda. It's right here in the Bible. (laughs) Okay? Genesis 10, we'll see the origin of all the nations. That's going to be my first point. Secondly, we'll see in 11 1 through 9 the origin of all the languages. So, number one, the origin of all the nations. Number two, the origin of all the languages. Number one, the origin of all nations. Chapter 10 is often called the table of nations. It's not a typical genealogy that says such and such fathered, such and such who fathered, such and such who fathered. There's some of that, but it's called the table of nations because it traces the line of descent from the three sons of Noah down to 70 people or 70 nations. 70 nations came from Noah and his sons. You have the sons of Japheth listed first in verses 2-5. through Then the sons of Ham in verses 6-20. through Then the sons of Shem in verses 21 through 31. I'm going to move quickly through these names. I'm going to try to pronounce them. uh, I'm going to try to pronounce them. (laughs) Period. And I might point out just a few little things along the way. And then we'll get to the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. So, Genesis 10, 1 through 5. We first see the sons of Japheth. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Verse 2, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyros. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripfoth, and Tagarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these the coastland people spread in their lands each with his own language by their clans and their nations. My mouth's already hurting. You know, we've only done five verses. But just notice very quickly verse 2, you see Madai, Madai, M-A-D-A-I. This is the father of the Medes. Madai is where the Medes come from. The modern day people of Iran. Javan Verse 2 also is similar to the word eon. The eonic people are the ancient uh, Grecian people. So you see, we're starting kind of in the northeast, coming around towards the west, above Israel. Next we come to the sons of Ham. Moving on to verse 6-20. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba. Havilah, Saptah, Ramah, and Sabteka. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush father Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehobothir, ir Calah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Calah, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim, Pathrusim, Kazluhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, his firstborn and Heth, and the Jebusites, and Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Arkites, the Sinites, the Arvadites, the Zimarites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So, as we come to the sons of Ham, remember that Ham was cursed back at the end of chapter 9. Look at 9, 24. Noah wakes up from his drunken stupor and knew what his youngest son, Ham, had done. Verse 25, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers. So Noah's son, Ham, uh, well, Ham didn't cover Noah's nakedness, and so... Ham curses not just, excuse me, Noah curses not just Ham, but Ham's son Canaan for not covering his nakedness and shaming him. Curses him and his descendants through the line of Canaan. That's why there's so much time spent here in the line of Ham, the sons of Ham. The most time in this genealogy is spent on Ham because this is the cursed line. You might say this is the the seed of the serpent. If you follow cursing through these opening chapters of Genesis, you'll follow the seed of the serpent. After sin comes into the world, God curses the serpent. Then He curses. Who does He curse next? Cain, for killing his brother Abel. Then He curses Canaan. And so this whole line, in a couple of weeks, you're going to see that He says to Abram, whoever doesn't bless you, Abraham, is cursed. So this line of Ham here is really theologically important. It's telling us that the line of the seed of the serpent, the cursed ones are alive and well, and they're spreading across the earth. And you probably recognize some of those names. I must be honest, 99% of them, I don't know, you don't know. But some of them you recognize, Philistines, of course the Canaanites. Moses, the narrator, puts so much emphasis on Ham's descendants because Israel is about to come into the land of Canaan. Where they'll bring God's judgment on the cursed descendants of Ham, the Canaanites. Now let's spend a few moments on Nimrod, can we? Name's not to give your kid. Nimrod, verses 8 through 12, we meet this man named Nimrod. He's called a mighty man, verse 8. First on earth to be a mighty man. That's not a compliment. He was proud, forceful, greedy, violent. He founded what becomes the capital cities of Babylon and Assyria, Babel and Nineveh. If you know anything about your Old Testament, you know that those cities and those empires wreaked havoc on God's people for hundreds of years. Both those nations give Israel lots of trouble. Assyrians defeat the northern kingdom, take them into exile in 722 B.C. The Babylonians defeat the southern kingdom, take them into exile in 586 B.C. These cities were not godly cities. And they weren't founded by a godly man. Nimrod, it says says he was a mighty man, a mighty hunter, a mighty city builder. But the reason I say he wasn't a godly man is because there's... There's all this detail about what he did and what, he, what, he, what, what kind of guy he was, but there's no mention, no indication at all that he worshipped God. Nimrod lived for himself. He's totally forgotten today. By the way, the only way you've ever heard of Nimrod is if you're reading your Bible and you read this text. He didn't live for God, and so he's completely Irrelevant. except to show us and teach us that a life lived apart from the worship of God ends in evil and being irrelevant everyone who refuses to worship the true and living God will miss eternal and lasting significance let me say it this way the only way to find lasting significance as a human being is to find yourself among the worshippers of God In other words, if God made you, friends, if God made you, if that premise is true, then the only way you'll ever find significance in this life that God gave you is by knowing Him, worshiping Him, following Him, loving Him, serving Him. Nimrod was not that kind of guy, even though he was great in the eyes of the world. But again, unless you're reading this text, you haven't even heard of this guy. So be careful who you praise in this life. Be careful who you give your adoration to. To achieve significance, don't be a Nimrod. Live for God. That kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Let's put that on a shirt. Don't be a Nimrod. Live for God. Notice verse 15. There's this guy named Heth. Heth Heth is probably the father of the Hittites. The Hittites are Canaanites, therefore under the curse of Noah, enemies of the people of God. But that doesn't mean that God can't save or use these people. Does anyone remember a famous Hittite in the Old Testament? Just blurt it out, a Hittite. It's way more obvious than you probably realize. Think David. Good job. Uriah the Hittite. Uriah's name literally means Yahweh is my light. So this Hittite, Uriah, had been drawn to the people of God. Drawn so much to the people of God that he would sworn his life to protect the king of the people of God. He was a pagan who was drawn into the worship of the one true and living God. So, despite the fact that the Hittites are under the curse of Noah, that doesn't mean that God can't save and redeem some of these people. And what this means for us is that our descent does not determine our destiny. And I know many of you need to hear this today. The people we descend from don't determine what kind of person we will be. Can I say that again and there will be maybe an amen at the end of that? the people we descend from don't determine what kind of person we will be. Or who who we will worship. Descent does not determine our destiny. So here are the the Hittites. Now let's move move on from the sons of Ham into the sons of Shem. Verses 21 through 31. 21 through 31. Round 3. To Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber, or Eber, if you're from East Texas. The elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad. Did I get that right, Mason? Lud, Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash, Arpachshad, fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Amadad, Shelef, Hazar, Mavar, Mavareth, I totally butchered that one, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzal, Diklah, Oba, Abimeel, Sheba, Ophir, Havalah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha, in the direction of Sephar, to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Eber, or Eber, we meet him at the very beginning, verse 21. Eber is where the word Hebrew comes from. And this word Eber has the same consonants that form the word for Passover. and That's not an accident, so that means that the Hebrew people are literally the people of the Passover. Ever, down in verse twenty-five, says it has two sons, Peleg and Jactan. Um, this genealogy here in chapter ten follow, follows uh, uh, Jactan. The one next week follows Peleg, and it'll take us all the way to Abram or Abraham. This is one of the things that happens in Genesis a lot. The book of Genesis we'll see several times that. The line, uh, the line from whom the chosen one does not descend is given first. And then the line from whom the chosen one does descend is given second. That's what's happening here. Notice there in verse 25. In his days, Peleg's days, days, the earth was divided. That's referring to, likely referring to when the Lord divided or confused the languages of the earth, which we'll read about in just a moment. But that brings us to verse 32. 32 is the summarizing statement for this genealogy that is impossible to pronounce, these names that are impossible to pronounce, but it's so important and instructive for us. So look at 32, and then we'll get into the Tower of Babel. These, these 70 nations, these 70 people are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. This verse is telling us where all the peoples of the earth came from. From these, these sons of Noah, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. This means, brothers and sisters, this means that humanity is united. We have a common ancestor in Noah who descended from Adam. All people born of Adam, born of Noah, born of the sons of Noah, all people in this room this morning bear the image of God. The divisions that exist in our world, as we'll see in just a moment, aren't an accident of history. The diversity of language and nationality and ethnicity and skin color is not an accident. Humanity is unified. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you're heart of hearts. You struggle like I do to my shame. You see someone who has a different skin color than I do and automatically think things. that they're this and I'm better. This text teaches us that any ideology that seeks to divide ethnic groups should be rejected. Critical race theory, white supremacy, replacement theory and the like are evil because they seek to divide what God made flow from one spring, if you will. I love the image of a quilt. My grandma used to quilt. We're all—you've heard that phrase. We're all cut from the same piece of, piece of cloth, right? A quilter takes all these different, unique shapes and squares and puts them together and makes something amazing and beautiful and useful. We're all cut from the same piece of cloth, guys. May God help us not to look upon people with different skin colors in our own and think things. As if, as if you had anything to do with your skin color. As if, as if in the Bible you can find any justification that would promote this notion that any skin color is inherently better than any other skin color. It's not in there. That's why I prayed so much this morning against racial injustice. It is a theme. And what's sad in our political environment is as soon as a preacher says that, you're like, he's woke. I'm trying to just show you what the Bible says. The Bible says we have one common ancestor, therefore, we're unified. So anything that wants to rip us apart is bad. May it not be so in the Church of Jesus Christ. May it not be so in the church where Ephesians 2 it says Jesus died to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That was an ethnic and theological wall that Jesus died to break down. So in his church, we come together from all over the world and we love one another genuinely. We, we, don't, we don't see people as enemies just because they look or sound differently. We see them as family. 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 This has been hard for me, honestly, growing up in a small town with more goats than people. Where I heard racist comments at church more often than I'd like to admit. Marrying into a family from the other side of the world. And that wasn't my idea. But I tell you, the Lord has a way of showing us that it ain't about us. That we aren't the apex of humanity. All the nations of the earth descended from a common ancestor. Adam, then Noah, the sons of Noah. That's at least one of the things this table of nations is meant to show us. So this is the origin of all the nations of the earth. That doesn't mean that this represents all the nations of the earth. This is just their origin. Now let's move to number two in chapter 11. The first nine verses at least of chapter 11. We'll learn about the origin of all the languages of the earth. So we've talked about Origin of the nations of the earth, now let's move to the languages, of the languages of the earth. Language is a beautiful and profound thing. Language is the primary way that we communicate with one another. Language is how we express our ideas, our emotions, our desires, our hopes and dreams. Complex and abstract language is one of the things that sets us apart from animals. In other words, language is one of the things that one of the ways that we bear the image of God, we're made in the likeness of a God who speaks. So language is beautiful and profound. In this text we're going to learn though that the presence of different languages is actually the result of man's sin and God's judgment. The presence of different languages is actually the result of man's sin and God's judgment. But... I hope to show you that that doesn't mean that God didn't ordain this reality in order to bring more glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. So, here we go. Chapter 11, verses 1-9. through The Tower of Babel. The origin of the languages of the world. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, burned them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city And the tower, which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, And they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The origin of all the different languages of the the world. Now if you're paying attention though. You might remember that back in chapter 10. Three different times in chapter 10. The presence of different languages was mentioned. Verse 5. From these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. Then again verse 20, then again verse 31. So, then we get to chapter 11 verse 1. Chapter 11 verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So which is it, Moses? Had Moses forgotten what he'd just written in chapter 10? Was there one language and one word, or were there different languages among the nations? Well, Moses hadn't forgotten what he'd written. He knew what he was doing. The solution to this problem is to realize that Moses didn't put these accounts in chronological order. He first describes the spreading out of the peoples in chapter 10. Then he describes the origin of the spreading in chapter 11. God had told Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, 9-1. That's exactly what chapter 10 describes. So chapter 10 appears on first reading to be man's obedience to God's command. But then we get to chapter 11 and it tells us that it wasn't obedience after all. We learn that the spreading of the peoples and the multiplying of languages was a result of God's judgment. After the flood, God told Noah and his family to fill the earth, just like he told Adam. But instead of spreading, they clustered. So God did something that would make their clustering impossible. He confuses their language and breaks them up into many language groups or nations. Now, what exactly was the sin there on the plains of Shinar? What exactly did the people do to invite God's judgment? That's right. Amen. Verse 4 is the key. Let's look at verse 4 again. Excuse me. Verse 4. Then they said, "'Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower.'" With this top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth so there are four key statements in this verse that tell us what their four aims or goals were first they aimed to build a city second they aim to build a tower in the city that would reach to the heavens third they aim to make a name for themselves and fourth they aimed to not be dispersed over the whole earth the first aim corresponds with the last aim Building a city is how they planned on avoiding being dispersed over the whole earth. It's interesting, isn't it? They, uh, instead of being dispersed, they congregated, they gathered, and then later the Lord literally has to disperse them. But the second aim corresponds to the third aim. Building a tower that would reach to the heavens is how they would make a name for themselves. So the two, the two sins at play here... The two inward sins that drove their outward actions were their love of praise, desiring to make a name for themselves, also known as pride. Their love of praise and their love of security, desiring to build a city instead of taking the risk of filling the earth and obeying God. It's easy to read texts like this and to assume that these people are different than us. Because they lived thousands of years ago. But the people of Babel were doing exactly what we all do every day. Aren't we also always on the lookout for how we can promote our name? Aren't we always struggling to rest in the security that God provides for us? And seeking to build temporary shelters? This started with Adam and Eve eating the fruit because they thought that they would gain a wisdom that would make them like God. But this continues all the way down to our lives when we do whatever we can to make a name for ourselves and to secure ourselves. Out of a fear of anonymity, of being obscure. I sometimes wonder if in this, this, this generation, what generation are we in now? I don't even know. Thank you, Steve. Z. Z whatever, uh, and, and everyone uh, who, who's kind of online, I fear that one of our biggest fears is obscurity. Like, as long as I'm not obscure, I'll be okay. We're driven to succeed at work, having the model family, crafting the perfect image of ourselves at church or online. Why? Because we think that will be the safe place that will soothe our fears. We think that that will promote a name for ourselves. We can't stand the thought of trusting only in God for security. We can't stand the thought of being obscure or anonymous. So in passing, I just want to say that we aren't much different than these folks. We're very much like them. We'd probably be laying bricks too, wouldn't we? Building our way into heaven. Did you guys notice the sarcasm there in verse 5? Some of you guys are really good at sarcasm, some of you are too good at it. Holy sarcasm, verse 5. Did you see it? This is very intentional sarcasm. There's no ambiguity here. The Lord, what does it say? Came down. <laughs> The Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Their tower was so tall that God couldn't even see it. This is holy mockery. Their tower was so little that God had to come down to see it. This tiny tower was so far from reaching heaven that God couldn't even see it from heaven. Sometimes we need The Lord to poke fun at our foolishness, don't we? Sometimes we need a good friend, don't we? To say, hey, brother, hey, sister, what you're doing right now is kind of stupid. This is, by the way, one of the good gifts of the church. (laughs) Amen? We need each other because we can't see everything clearly, our eyes are just too bent in on ourselves. Their tiny tower was so far from reaching heaven that God couldn't even see it. Now what God does in response to their disobedience is down in verses 6 through 8. He says, Behold, they're one people. They have one language. This is only the beginning of what they'll do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. God's response to man's arrogance and presumption was to make it harder for man to communicate and thus harder to unite in rebellion against God. By way of application, sometimes when life gets harder, it is because God wants us to stop doing what we're doing, and take a look at things, maybe stop doing some things, stop sinning in some ways we're sinning. Not every roadblock is an attack of the enemy. God sometimes wants us to stop what we're doing. Now the end of verse 6 tells us that God knows the immense potential of people created in His image. So He multiplies languages in order to limit our ability to exalt ourselves. Now interestingly in verse 9, we see that God gave them exactly what they wanted. Remember verse 4, they wanted to make a name for themselves. So verse 9 says that God gave them a name. What was their name? Their city's name? Babel. Babel. He gave them what they wanted. Sometimes God's judgment in our lives is that we get exactly what we want. Only to find out that what we want is not good for us. So, that's what's happened here. I want to now turn a corner and to ask this important question. How does man's sin and God's judgment here at the Tower of Babel result in bringing more glory to Jesus Christ? So I've said that dispersion of peoples, the multitude of languages and nations is a result of man's sin and God's judgment. But I've also said, and I'm going to show you further now, that this doesn't mean That God isn't up to something good. You see, when God does something, when He allows something, permits something, He does so for a reason. And if there's a reason, then that means that it's part of a plan. God doesn't act haphazardly or aimlessly. When He permits this rebellion on the plains of Shinar to take place, He knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly what His response will be. So this means that the different languages, the different peoples aren't an afterthought. So what is God doing? How will this spectacular sin bring glory to Jesus? Well, at least three ways. Three ways. Number one, this sin will bring glory to Jesus because Jesus lays claim on every language group. Jesus lays claim on every language group. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-19? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of? And you see the logic there? He says, I have all the authority. Therefore, go and get people for me from every language group. He's just laid claim on every nation of the earth. Every nation, every people group, every language group will have some people that come to Christ. This is why we must go to the nations and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus has authority over them and is calling people from them to worship Him. And the way He calls them is through us, through our faithful evangelism and prayer and hospitality. As you witness to people who live next to you, who are from the other side of the globe, you're part of what Jesus is doing And gathering together a people for himself from all the peoples of the earth. By the way, I forgot to mention earlier, another one of our members, Hunter McLean, is preparing to head over to Poland to join Maddie, um, working with refugees coming out of Ukraine. I think I said all that right. So if you want to help Hunter get over there... um, You might have an email in your inbox. He's supposed to be emailing the church. But also you can just come see me. We have lots of ways to be a part of Jesus' work among the nations, even right now. So Jesus will be glorified through every language group. second way that Jesus is glorified through the Tower of Babel is that His gospel is seen as more glorious because it has the power to break into every language group. Romans 1:16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek which is everyone who's not a Jew So just think of it just think if all of God's people only came from one language group it wouldn't be seen nearly as glorious This is one of the reasons why Islam is pretty well confined into the Middle East and North Africa. People with the same basic language. It doesn't travel very well outside of its language group. The gospel, however, has been traveling to language groups for two thousand years. And it will continue to do so. The gospel of Jesus isn't provincial, it's not a tribal religion that only affects a small percentage of the human race. The gospel has the power to break into every language group and every people group. This means, brothers and sisters, I know when we meet somebody and we have a friend who's from another country and their English is kind of, you know, they're learning English and we're trying our best to share truth with them and share Christ with them. And you're like, I just don't know what to say. Just tell them about Jesus. Just tell them the old, old story. Just tell them there's a God in heaven who made them. That they've sinned against him, but in mercy, that God has sent his son to die on the cross for their sins, rising again on the third day, so that if they'll just trust him and follow him, they'll be saved. You can do that with a friend from India, you can do that with a friend from Kazakhstan, you can do that with friends from all over this globe, because the gospel isn't provincial. And when someone, this often happens, it's probably happened to you if you're sharing the gospel. If someone says, well, man, you know, yeah, that's, that's an American religion. That's a, that's a Western thing. Well, no, it, actually it's not. Just factually point out that this whole thing we call the Bible started in the Middle East. Okay? It's not a Western thing. Jesus was from what we call Palestine. He's a Hebrew not from the West. So the Gospel has the power to break into every language group. And that reveals Jesus' glory. Third and final way that Jesus is glorified through the events that happen here at the Tower of Babel is because one day Jesus will receive praise from every tribe and every language. Revelation 5, 9 They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you hear what that said? Listen carefully again. By your blood you ransomed people from every tribe, language, and people. That means that Jesus has a people from every people group. Everyone. So brothers and sisters, take the gospel out there. Be bold, be courageous. Jesus will gather his people in. The praise that Jesus will receive on the last day will be more glorious and more beautiful because of its diversity than it would have been if there were only one language and one people the arrogance of the people of Babel and the resulting judgment of God have become the means that God is using to call together the most beautiful choir that the universe has ever seen. There will be almost 7,000 languages in that choir made up of people from every skin color and every ethnic group and every language under the sun. I pray that our church would become, continue to become a place that embraces that future reality in the present through loving and honoring those who look different than us. I pray that we would be a church that takes seriously our mandate to take the gospel of Jesus to every language group on the planet for the glory of Jesus. Now as I close, as I land this plane, if this story, the Tower of Babel, teaches us anything, it teaches us this plainly, that we were never meant to build our lives upon our own efforts. And that when we do, it will result in failure, confusion, and pain. We were made to love and trust the God who made us, the God who left heaven to meet us where we are. You might remember that every religion in the world Besides, Christianity says that we need to do things to earn God's favor. Christianity is alone. And I would say is supreme. And say, no, 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 no. (laughs) You don't have to do anything. In fact, you can't do anything. Christ did everything. All you have to do is look to Him. Just look to Christ. He came down. Lived the life we could never live. Perfectly keeping the law of God. Dying on the cross to absorb the punishment that our sins deserve. Rising again on the third day to prove that His sacrifice was sufficient to save everyone who looks to Him in faith. We were made to know and love and trust God who left heaven to meet us where we are. Working our way to where He is, is a fruitless endeavor. Now, I know that many of you in the room know that. I know that many of you are like, yeah, John, I'm trusting in Christ. Christ alone is my my hope, my only hope. But what sometimes, many times in my heart and yours, we still gravitate into this way of thinking that it's our performance that really matters. So we build towers of performance Maybe not to earn God's favor, but to prove to the people around us that we have it. So we try to out-parent, out-mom, and out-dad, and out-work, and out-spend, and out-live, and out-whatever. We try to just do whatever we can to make ourselves look better than other people around us. Even in the church, we out-serve, we out-give, we out Whatever we do, a lot of the times we're doing it to show people that we are something And what this passage is meant to show us who struggle with that is that building towers of performance is a fruitless endeavor. It will lead to exhaustion and pain. Building our trust in the Gospel though, understanding that we have nothing and are nothing apart from Christ is freeing and fueling You want something to live for? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Be honest about how jacked up you are. And just look to Him. Let Him start to remake you. You'll start to live with a new kind of radiance. A new kind of love for people that aren't like you. Because your life is not built on you. Your life is not built on this flimsy, tiny tower of you. Your life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that rock ain't never moving. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in the middle of our babble-like pride, may God come and help us to put to death all our idols of performance and to live our lives for the glory of Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Please take your word. Apply it to our hearts. Or take your word. and Sift us. Help us to take from here the things we need to take from here. Help us to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. Help us to see areas of our life where we're... Subtly, maybe even unconsciously, we're trying to look better than we are. Our whole city is full of this this image casting, this idolatry of strength. When your word says plainly that it's your grace that makes us strong. And our strength is found in our weakness. Father, bring us to Christ. Help us to see His glory. Help us to see those you've made in your image as uh, cut from the same piece of cloth. Cleanse our ethnocentrism. Cleanse any racism that lives in our hearts. Help us to see people with the eyes of Jesus Christ. Help us to love, genuinely love, and engage people who are different than us. And in so doing, we'll be modeling what you have done for us. Help us, Holy Spirit, come help us do the things we've heard from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.